Drew and Jonathan Scott here to tell you that American Family Insurance wants to protect your dreams. So whether you're at home singing in the shower, every note, or prefer singing your heart out in the car like Drew, cruising, you can save up to 23% when you bundle your home and auto insurance with American Family Insurance. Get a quote or find an agent at amfam.com. Insure carefully, dream fearlessly. Visit amfam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. In the heat of the moment, you're not just keeping it calm, you're keeping it cool, too. With an ice-cold cold brew. And not just any cold brew, but one that's slow-steeped and mixed with brown sugar and molasses flavor. With a cold foam infused with brown sugar coolness and a cinnamon sugar sprinkle on top. That's keeping it calm, cool, and cold brewed. With Dunkin's new brown sugar cream cold brew, America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Terms apply. Hello there, welcome to another episode of This Week in History with me, your host, Dan the Viking. Now, we've got a bit of a different show for you this week. We're actually, we've got a collaboration with uh, our friends over at Realm of the Supernatural podcast, um, a title that they have put as the airship and the medium. Now, I'm actually going to call it the R101, purely because, obviously, with you, with my listeners and history, the R101 is slightly more relevant than let's say the uh, the medium side to things this story does incorporate a lot of psychic sides to things so if that's not not your interest if that's not what you you want to listen to then you know by all means give this episode a skip um, but it is a very good episode uh, Lee is uh, a very you know veteran podcast I've been doing it for a few years now and uh, it's given me a lot of pointers so I hope everybody does enjoy this and this is about like I said this is about the British airship the R101 I just want to do a quick announcement to everyone who you know who listens to podcasts and who listens to my podcast in particular with uh, the situation we've got in the world at the moment obviously my works is what's classed as you know key workers in this country delivery drivers are apparently quite important at the moment so just for those of you that don't know that's what I do for a living now I I am a delivery driver so obviously I will try and get podcasts out as and when it's possible for me to do so you know obviously in, in this current situation we're in I just hope everybody's staying safe and and in you know hopefully I can take some of the boredom away for you for a for a, for an hour or so every day but look after each other and you know let's make sure everybody comes through this the right way but uh, on that note you know we will still try and get some podcasts out we will still try and do do some certain things I, I have got one coming up uh, I've had a couple of people message looking forward to the one that I'm doing with my father in regards to the Titanic that one will be coming up as soon as we both we both have some time off obviously my dad he's actually a police officer in London so 
as I'm sure you can imagine, it's a very tough job for him at the moment. So when he gets a chance, we, 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 we shall be doing that one. In regards to a couple of other things, there has been a handful of people who have messaged. One person actually commented on the page on Facebook saying that he wants to see the American Revolution as an episode, but from the British perspective. So I think that's a fantastic idea. And a couple of people have obviously read that and messaged me saying, you know, can you do this one? Um, I think that's a brilliant idea. And that will probably be one that I shall be covering, like I said, within the next few weeks. For those of you that aren't on our Facebook page, like I said, just get yourselves on it. It's This Week in History podcast. Just type it into Facebook and you'll see us on there. And we shall try and, you know, accompany anything, any requests that we can. And like I said, more important than anything at the moment, everyone just make sure you stay safe and, you know, look after yourselves. So here we go. Okay, so... um Aaron couldn't be here this week, so me and Dan from uh, This Week in History, which we had on for the Norse mythology episode, we decided to do a bit of a collaboration um, on a certain aspect, so the medium and the airship, shall we say. Um, so Dan, how are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing well today, thank you. So this is going out on both our podcasts, isn't it? So Yeah, yeah, we'll do it as a joint one. Yeah, so your listeners will get the history and the, um, well, the, the psychic the no- side. Yeah, I was going to say the nonsense from me, I suppose. But, <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, so uh, Aaron's up, up in Glasgow this weekend, enjoying himself. Watching out for Corona. <laughs> well, you can't miss it, it's everywhere, isn't it? No, I know. The, uh, Scary times. Have you ever been to Glasgow? I have, yeah. I actually lost an earring in Glasgow once on a night out. What, through violence? Yeah, through violence. I've got a scar <laughs> on my ear where someone ripped it out. That was nice of him. Yeah, I've only had one uh, venture up to Glasgow. Um, it was interesting. It was different. Um, I met this girl and I decided to go up to Glasgow to meet her. And um, we stopped in this B&B and it was, it was, I mean, it was a fucking shithole. It was a proper dive. Um, but obviously I was there to, to meet her and all the rest of it, so it was all good. But um, yeah, yeah, that was weird because she, um, yeah, I've gone all the way to Glasgow, which is a long way. It's a long train, train journey, you know. It's a feral trek. Yeah, and so it's a few hours. Gets up there, and uh, you know, we're there for one thing, a night out, and you know, the old uh, in out, and um, gets into the room and that, and we we get on the bed and everything, and then she says, "You can come on my belly." Brilliant. Yeah, and I thought. <laughs> Uh, you know, three hours for that. But anyway, we got into it and that, and uh, no, she didn't want me doing that <laughs> when we got started. So it was all good in the end. <laughs> oh dear. But her name was yeah. Laura, Laura McCocklin or something like that. I don't know. Can't remember. Brilliant. Now, now she's listening. You've just called her out. <laughs> hey, she was she was cracking last. You know what I mean? She really was. But she just lived too far away. She'd been down here. You know, things would have been different. But hey, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, my, sister, my sister lives in Glasgow. Yeah, I won't go again, I don't think. It's not that bad. Yeah, it's a just bit... too far for fuck all. Yeah, it is a bit of a journey. Yeah. Okay, so you're going to give me the history of yes. this particular airship disaster, shall we say? Yeah. And then I'll chime in with the psychic at the end, Elaine Garrett. <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting, actually, to be fair. Yeah, I mean, it's a story that I've not um, come across until you mentioned it. 
and looking into a little bit of the history of her and her beliefs were the most interesting thing besides the airship uh, bit itself which we're going to cover her actual beliefs uh, as a psychic were very interesting and not too far off what I believe so that's interesting and we'll hmm. obviously get into that towards the end but do you want to that's fire cool. away with um, the history yeah yeah, of course. Uh, basically, it was um, the British airship program. So, at this time in history, Germany was obviously running their zeppelins. Um, obviously, everyone's well aware of the. I'm assuming everyone's well aware of the Hindenburg crash, which was probably the most famous, which was 1937. And really, that's famous purely on the basis that it was caught on TV. So it was actually on camera. The whole crash was on camera. Mm. Uh, this actually happened in 1930. So this was sort of nine years prior to that. And Britain basically came up with this idea that they wanted to travel in luxury to different corners of the empire. And the plan was to create two airships, one that could travel over the Atlantic to America and Canada, and one that could travel over Europe and go towards India. So the, the plan basically, they, they built two, two airships. There was the R100, which was built by a private enterprise, and there was the R101, which was given to the government. So this story actually covers the R101, which is the government-based airship, let's say. So it was the air ministry, and it was Lord Thompson who was the air minister. Now, Lord Thompson was actually on that flight, or on the first flight for the R101. And the R the R101, like I said, it, it took quite a bit of time to be built. Um they the R by the time the R101 had been built, let's put it into a bit of context, the, the R100, the privately enterprised um ship, had already been to Canada and back before the R101 was even completed. So mm. pretty much like everything that our government does, it takes a long time and it's not as good because yeah. that's how they do everything you just need to look I mean being a football fan you look at Wembley Wembley needs a new pitch every two weeks and it took them 10 years to build and it was 4 million 5 million whatever over budget but yet Arsenal managed to build an entire ground in a season so it's privately enterprise stuff seems to work better in this country than when the government actually take control so it was doomed from the start really yeah um well, it was the so, it was the R one hundred who, not, like you say, went to Canada and back, but it went without difficulty. You know, had it cr- a few issues. Um, yeah, it had up, niggly yeah. issues, and I think I think that's what they wanted to do was to find out what the issues were yeah. and then try and change them. Um, and the main one was obviously they they use hydrogen gas. Hydrogen gas is extremely flammable, and they the R one hundred used petrol engines. So. Petrol engines, as everyone knows, petrol is highly, highly flammable. And their way of getting around that was to use diesel. Now, um, diesel engines are a lot heavier, but they don't, they don't blow up. You know, diesel doesn't catch fire. If you ever put a naked flame on diesel, it won't, it won't catch fire. It's the fumes that catch fire off diesel, not necessarily the actual liquid. Yeah. So hence, hence the reason we don't have diesel bombs. Yeah, exactly. So they're not, they're not, they don't work. Um, so it is, it does make a big, you know, big difference. But like I said, they did put a lot, a lot of extra weight on it. So, I mean, empty weight on the R101 was sort of 116, nearly 117,000 kilos. 
So it was well over a ton. Bearing in mind these were supposed to be lightweight airships. It certainly wasn't lightweight. Um, when they built it, they built it with hydrogen bags. So where, as like the Zeppelins, the German way they built things, they were built with everything internal and then a little sort of cargo ship hung off the bottom, if that makes sense. Yep. Um, and I, I don't know if anyone's ever seen pictures of them. They're like just big balloons, basically, with, like I said, the German ones had like a... I don't really know how to describe it. Like an airship bag, you know, like you'd get in a bit hot air balloon, just like a big basket underneath yeah. that was windowed gond- off. Is it called a gondola? The bit that yeah, it's called it, a gondola. Uh, but basically, yeah, people are familiar with blimps, advertising blimps. If yeah. they haven't seen the airship, they'll be familiar with the advertising blimps. It's essentially that, but on a massive scale, yeah? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the R100 or the R101, the plan was to actually build everything internal. So everything was inside the ship. There was no baskets underneath. There was nothing hanging underneath the ship. It was just everything was internal. And it gave them the ability to make it quite luxurious. If you ever see pictures of the R101, it almost looked like a cruise ship inside. It was was wonderful, really, really well crafted. Yeah, ornate, I would say. Yeah, I mean exactly. the the one hundred one. I heard st- uh, no, the one the R hundred. Is it? The, I heard yeah. stories that people were you know tr- pleasure like just moving across that ocean there, and there was looking at whales underneath and eating the dinner, mm-hmm. and you know it was a free cost meal and silver cutlery and all that. And it sounds like I mean that's better than the shit you get on airplanes today, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, if it was something that they could bring back, I think with that sort of luxury, but you know, less dangerous, I think it probably would come back. It, yeah. it definitely. I'm not sure that you know, they are dangerous. Well, I mean, hydrogen and petrol is not really a good mix, but you know, the thing is, back then they they would have used helium at the time. Helium was only manufactured in the states, so wasn't very easy to get hold of. You know, nowadays I think. Helium's probably a lot easier to get hold of. You can buy it in card factory. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, but anyway, back back to the R one. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's good fun. <laughs> um, so it basically it started with a few problems. So they they obviously they added these airbags in to the R one hundred and one. Then they got it off the ground. They got it barely off the ground. You know, sort of. I think it was about twenty nine feet. They got it off the ground, <clears throat> and that was sufficient for them to go hang on we've got a problem what they then did was they cut the fuselage and added another hydrogen bag inside so it actually made it 717 feet or 236 meters long so it was pretty big Mm. um and that gave it you know the the ability to actually lift off the ground more buoyancy yeah exactly but obviously also a lot more dangerous so it had a top speed of 71 miles an hour again so for when you're talking you know back in the day you're talking about battleships and cruise ships in this time period that would travel at about 30 30 knots yeah. 35 knots something 20 like mile that. an hour or something yeah yeah these were doing 62 knots or 71 miles an hour they were they were pretty fast you know the range was around 4000 miles well that was the, the planned range of it was to go around 4000 miles so a trip to india was definitely not impossible you know they 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 had it all set out it was all ready to go and its maiden voyage it it took 54 people on its maiden voyage and when it when it went up it went around london a couple of times it, they showed it off you know they really did show it off 
and it got over France and it, it didn't, it didn't get back. It didn't go any further than that. So what it, what actually happened on the airship was as it, it went over to France, it was sort of rushed through as well. So Lord Thompson, like I said, is the air minister at the time. He, he really wanted this ship to go. He wanted it. Yeah. You know, it, it was, it was his, sort of almost his baby really it was his pride he wanted it got he wanted to show off to the world that he was a good he was good air whatever uh, i can't remember what he was air marshal or air i don't even think that the position in government exists anymore no air ministry air minister i'm not sure there's he he backed himself in a corner didn't he He, he, yeah he said we are going to fly on this day and even though there was um Issues, let's say. Um, yeah, he, he still said no. We're flying, it, regardless yeah. of what the captain said and all the rest of it. He, we're going. Exactly, and he sort of he'd made that decision to do it. You know, they they tested it before. You know, it was tested in 1929, uh, and it, it like I said, it worked. It, it it did get off the ground. It did fly. It didn't do as well as they wanted it to, and the air ministry just went. No, it needs to go. It need we've we've set this date. It has to go. You know, it when it when it took off, it it like I said, it flew over London. It actually flew to Norwich as well. So for those of you who aren't aware of Norwich in in the east of England, it went to Norwich because of Sandringham House, which is where the king lived, or where the king was at the time. So it they made a real big spectacle of it. You know, they they really did want to show off this thing and show. That Britain actually had an air program, basically. So it went off, like I said, it, and when it, it crossed over the channel and it got to, as it got to France, it, they were starting to show a few problems on the ship and it, it went down. Now, as it went down, the, the reasons were to start with that there was on the front of the airship, it was almost like a canvas that kept it all in, encased, if that makes sense. And the material started to peel off the airship. Now, as the material was peeling off, it started to cause holes in, in the, the gas bags because obviously the wind was getting straight into the ships. Now, these gas bags were actually sewn together. So they weren't, you know what I mean? Like they weren't, they weren't foolproof. They had holes in, they had tiny little pinholes in. They were not airtight, if that makes sense, mm. you know, and, as soon as those, as soon as the canvas started to lift off the front of the airship, these holes were then subject to everything external from the ship, and it just made these holes bigger and bigger and bigger, causing more and more problems. And it, basically, it, it was pretty much doomed. So what they did, they slowed it down. They, the, the captain slowed the airship down. Now, the reports say he actually slowed the airship down to around 13 miles an hour. Now I've had a bike accident that's better than, that was faster than 19 miles an hour. So he really did slow the bike, slow the bike, sorry. He really did slow the airship right down. And it, you know, it almost, as he, as he hit the ground, it, the plan, I'm guessing the plan was just to sort of hit and cruise to, to a nice stop. Obviously as it hit the ground, the metal filings from inside the 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 encasement hit the the hydrogen tiny little spark and the whole thing just went bang yeah and there was only four survivors so out of all the people on board lord lord thompson was was one of them you know he died 
he actually died on the plane. So out of out on the plane on the airship. So out of the forty-eight, it was six people that survived that. So there's fifty-four and forty-eight died. So it, it was quite quite a big story in Britain. You know, this was they they were trying to rival Germany and they failed really. You know, the the air the whole story of the airships and everything like that stopped after that you know we didn't we didn't produce any more yeah. even though like i said the r100 was was actually okay you know the the r100 was successful it did its journey it like you said obviously earlier it did have a few niggly issues um but it but it worked you know it it, it did work it was successful and then because this one was such a catastrophic failure it it went and you know they they sort of Britain didn't really know what to do with that and they just went no no no, no. so that will stop and they, and that's it and then we've never had airships again mm. so but there is um, know, they, uh, quite a few conspiracy theories around airships mm, and uh, yes. the fact that let's say the the people who um especially if they've gone to diesel um which was the plan uh, the people who obviously make petrol and stuff, but they wasn't happy mm. about that. And the same with the Hindenburg, I think. Um, but there's, like I say, there's a, a lot of conspiracy theories about that. Yes, there is, definitely. Uh, it, you know, it, it, it was one of them ones where the, the official report was that the, too much hydrogen was leaked. And, you know, because of that, it wasn't able to sustain the altitude that it needed. And it went down. And as it went down, that was it you know there was nothing that could avoid it i mean it, it was it was so close to a uh, like a, a church even the locals of one of the churches in france said it literally grazed the top of the church as it went down so it really it was on its way you know there was no saving it but the actual aftermath let's say of the explosion potentially could have been you know avoided and i think it sort of it resonated, you know, to the point that there's even like a memorial in Westminster Palace. So, let's say Westminster Palace for everyone else. That's the Houses of Parliament. So, you know, the the Palace of Westminster. It's the Houses of Parliament for those of you that don't know. But there's a memorial in there for the people who died. Uh, so it's like a little plaque. So they they did really sort of take. They did. They were aware of it, you know, on the fifth of October, nineteen thirty, and it was laid by permission of King George V so you know it, they did they did take a little bit of pride in it if that makes sense yeah. and it was just like I say it was something that could have been avoided but was there was there more to it and that's where you come in I suppose if there was more to it or if yeah. there was you know well, take it away was there more to it well that's the question I mean where Elaine Garrett comes into this is she proposes a theory that um, basically blamed the government, if you like. The, yeah. the, the government had said this was a disaster for various different reasons and they weren't really necessarily taking responsibility for it. Uh, they more or less made out that it was pilot error, if you like. Yeah, um, it's an easy mistake, isn't it? Yeah, but this Thompson, like you say, he wanted this thing out and they was all saying it's not ready to go, but he wanted it to be, you know, it's got to go, it's got to go. And uh, obviously, the issues that resulted was probably from that decision. But Elaine Garrett, okay. So, for those who don't know, she's 
a psychic medium is the way best to describe, okay? But not necessarily, because you don't necessarily believe what the rest of the psychic mediums believe, but we'll get into that towards the end. Um, she was born in 1893, okay? And she was born in Ireland. Now, unfortunately for her, she didn't have the best of beginnings. Two weeks after she was born, both her parents had committed suicide. Wow. Yeah. So she ended up going to live with an aunt. And from an early age, she had, let's say, a gift, if you like. She had this uh, ability. She could see auras around people. Um, she, mm. she could see ghosts. Uh, she actually had three friends, uh, three ch- uh, child, like child ghosts that lived in the house were. And you can imagine her aunt didn't want to talk about anything like this. And um, she actually... Yeah, especially, especially back then. Exactly. So she was quite strict with her and... But Eileen couldn't not see these things. She could see them, so she would often play with them and uh, have conversations and stuff like that. And every time her aunt would catch her, she would beat her. And one particular day, she'd, she'd had enough of the beating and she'd run off. And she took her revenge out on um, some ducklings at a local pond. Uh, she killed three ducklings uh, as a in a fit of rage, if you like. But as she's done this, she's noticed this what she describes as a grey smoke substance rising in a spiral form from these ducklings. Okay, so she noticed this and she wondered what that was. Obviously, she had this ability to see auras and such, so she killed, um, in the interest of science, you must understand, she, ki- yeah. <laughs> she killed <laughs> She killed a few crows and some rabbits, and they, they also um, released this grey spiralling substance that she could see. Later on, she will. She did go on to say that she was horrified by what you know, by what she'd done, the brutality of what she'd done, and she spent the rest of her life um, protecting. Her. The world is always on, but you shouldn't be. Put junk sleep to bed. At Mattress Firm's Black Friday Now Sale, save up to 60% on Sealy with Queen Mattresses starting at $279.99. Talk to a sleep expert today and unjunk your sleep. Animals. You've been very protective of animals after that. So, she was a bit of a problem child and she readily admits that. Um, She actually said that she, she knew she was because she had these gifts. She didn't know how to control them. She didn't know... Um, why she was different from anybody else and why she could do the things that no one else could do. And her aunt got fed up with her and eventually she sent her away to school in Dublin. Yeah. Now the teachers were frustrated with her as well because she kept saying things at school that uh, would, let's say, spook the other children um, and give the teachers a bit of a hard time. She, she said things, lots of strange things, but she said she could see through her fingers. She said she could see through her knees and her feet and all kinds of weird stuff. Now, when psychologists get involved later on and all that, they'll they'll say this was a case of megalomania and schizophrenia. She was obviously with the resulting from her childhood and all the rest of it. It's not that hard to see why she'd be schizophrenic. And she suffered from tuberculosis when she was sixteen, and that uh, made a move to England. Okay, she was sent to England, and she married a guy there. Now. She had two sons. She had four children in all. She actually had three marriages, and none of them lasted. And she, she even said, she, "Yeah, she even said that she <laughs> the knew she knew the wouldn't, you know." But her first husband, he thought she was crazy, 
and uh, he actually had a actually they both discussed it it wasn't like he just had a section but he they both discussed it and he had to put in a loony bin at the time um he um yeah they just didn't couldn't understand what was going on now she actually had two children with him she actually had four children in in uh, you know in all with the result of all the marriages but she had two children with him and both died at a young age and she also saw this gray spiraling smoke come out of her children's bodies okay Wow. So it wasn't just the ducks and the animals, it was actually people as well. Yeah. But while she was in the mental institute, she decided that maybe this wasn't wasn't her going crazy, you know, these voices in her head and that. Maybe she wasn't going crazy, and maybe this was um something else, you know, like obviously you had spiritual mediums in the you know, in that era and maybe she thought well, she did think she maybe this is what this was. Um so she sort of embraced it, if you like, and that's kind of where the airship comes in because in three visions okay she had three visions of an airship crashing over london uh, they were in 1926 1928 and 1929 now the uh, airship that we're talking about today actually crashed in was it the 4th of october 1930 yeah but she'd had these three visions and the, the, the last one she had in the 29 she saw it over her head and she actually thought it was happening right there and then. She, it, this was um, so lifelike, you know, so real. Um, but obviously, no one else was reacting to it. So she realized this was a premonition. And she contacted the air ministry, Thompson and the rest. And they, they just, you know, totally disregarded it. Said, no, nope, not going to happen. And blah, blah, blah. And obviously, um, we, we, you know. Uh, as things would come to pass, it did come true. But at the time, she was being um, tested. Now, she was one of these mediums who would uh, put herself up for tests. She'd been tested by uh, numerous amounts of parapsychologists. Um, uh, uh, Joseph Ryan, for instance, he tested her. Uh, and then Harry Price and some of the others got involved as well. Now, there's a lot of controversy shall we say about the claims that she was making now she wasn't she wasn't necessarily um right some of the tests that they was doing on her were like for uh you know extrasensory perception things like this so some of the tests they would do they would um booth uh, did this test on her where he would put cards down on the table and ask her to pick the triangle uh, obviously the cards are face down and you know you say pick the triangle and she'd just pick a card and he said that she was getting uh, about what you'd expect to see if someone was guessing yeah. okay so what you know here herself she got frustrated with these tests because she didn't believe that these tests were necessarily aimed at what she could do you know these tests were you know for psychics etc these weren't tests for what she believed she was is some sort of medium. Okay. Yeah, exactly. clear, you might say clairvoyant. So, like I say, some of the tests were taken place by Harry Price. Now, Harry Price was a famous parapsychologist. He's cropped up in, he crept up in last week's episode on Helen Duncan. Oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah. Yeah, and he also crept up in the Bawley case that we, the Bawley Rectory that we covered. Now, he really backed himself to get to the bottom of any claims of um, the paranormal. Okay. So, he, he sets out to test her, and in one of the tests that he actually um, engineered was to uh, contact the recently deceased 
Arthur Cohen Doyle. Okay. The um, guy who did Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes, yeah. that's the one. God, dear, there's, there's random history knowledge there. <laughs> My wife says I'm full of random, useless information. So. Says you're full of shit. Yeah, basically. Good in a pub quiz, though. Very good in a pub quiz. Okay, so this seance was arranged for the 7th of yes, October, sorry. 1930, yeah. and it commenced at 3 p.m., and obviously this was a few days after the disaster. I think the, the airship crashed on the 4th of October. So this is a few days after. And like I say, there was there to contact Africa and Doyle. But to the surprise of everybody in the room, and Harry Price was there, and his secretary was taking these notes, and some of them I'm going to give you uh, some of the things that came through here. Now, it's important to mention at this point that she had uh, the the... Now, the colloquial word for this is a spirit guide. Um, you know, these clairvoyant souls have these mm. like spirit guides that uh, the, 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 the contact the, the deceased for them, that kind of thing. Yeah, um, how many Zandy got? Yeah, exactly. And I'll go into a little bit what she thought these were at the end, but and for instance, this particular one on this day was a guy called Yuvani. Um, yeah. She actually had two spirit guides, uh, Adult Latif and... Um, Yovani, but this particular day, Yovani was there. So they start by asking, um, you know, who's there and all the rest of it. And I think it took about five minutes for Yovani to come through. And in broken English, because he wasn't um, an English uh, personality, if you like, he started saying things like, I see the moment Irvine or or Irwin, um, he said, something about apologizes for coming or for, for interfering. Speak Dora or Dorothy or Gladys. For heaven's sake, give this to him. He goes on like this. And he talks about engine capacity. Now, he was picking up, as it later turned out, he was actually picking up the voice of Flight Lieutenant H. Carmichael Irwin, who was the captain of the R-101. Right? Mm -hmm. And through this communication... Again, he apologised for coming through, um, and he knew there was there to contact other people. But he said he, you know, he had to come through and he had to tell his story. Now, some of the things that he come through was such like this: engines were too heavy. Okay, it was that I made five occasions to scuttle back to safety. Useful lift too small. Gross lift computed badly. Inform control panel. Uh, this idea of elevation is totally mad. Elevator jammed. Oil pipe plugged. The absorbent scheme of carbon and hydrogen is essentially the absolutely wrong. To begin with, the demand for it would be great, greater than the supply. Also, let me say this. I have experimented with less hydrogen with a result we're not able to reach 1,000 metres. With a carbon hydrogen, you will be able to get no altitude worth speaking about. With hydrogen, one is able to do that quite easily. Greater lifting than helium. Explosion caused by friction in electric storm. Flying low altitude could never rise. Disposable lift could not be utilised. Load too great for long flight. Same with SL8 Tel Anchor. Anchor or something. I think that was another... Was that another airship? I'm not sure. Yeah. SL SL8 what? Anchor. Yeah, I think that must have been another airship, maybe. Uh, cruising speed, bad. 
ship badly swinging. Severe tension on fabric, which caused chafing. Okay, so he's saying there was back to what you were talking about. Obviously, he's saying there was chafing. There was obviously with that hole and them rubbing together. That's what caused yeah. the the hole in him, if you like. Uh, starboard strikes, engine wrong, too heavy, cannot rise. Never reach cruising altitude. Same in trials. Two short trials. Again, yeah, you know, this is two, two this is what we um, were speaking about before. You know, they rushed this along, and he's saying that the, the trials were too short. The thing, the thing is, with the trials as well, when they when they did the trials, they they basically made them to the pub to public knowledge. The trials were successful. So, I mean, I'm I'm a bit of a skeptic, but the fact that you know, there's no way anyone in the country unless you were part of the air ministry would have known that those trials were unsuccessful so it it's you know the went basically the cover up of making sure that the british public thought everything was good to go and that's you know they wouldn't have known that yeah well again I you know I'll keep going with this because I think it's interesting just to give you not just a little part of this like a lot of what she said because uh, skeptics will say she just read this in the paper um, mm. but again you know uh, the trials are too short he says no one knew the ship properly okay air screws too small fuel injection bad an air pump failed cooling system bad uh, bore capacity bad next time cylinders but bore engine of uh, 1100 cc but the bore was not enough to raise too heavy load and support weight it had been named, known for many occasions that the bore capacity entirely inadequate for the volume of the structure. This I had placed again and again before the engineer, without being able to enlarge the capacity of the diesel twin valve. Um, had the interchangeable with larger capacity, we may have made it, uh, but the structure no good, and actually the case, the gas did not allow the mixture to get into the engines, backfired, fuel injection bad. Now, price uh, popped in here to say crude oil is not inflammable. I don't know. Uh, anyway, then Irwin comes back through and says, this is inflammable. Also, to begin with, there was not sufficient feed, leakage, pressure and heat produced explosion. Explosion in the cylinders is uh, entirely already informed us of the explosion on the crash causing the, by friction in electric storm. So now he's what he's saying here, price is saying... Well, a minute ago you was telling us that it was an explosion, explosive storm, uh, electric storm, which caused the explosion. Now you're saying the cylinders caused the explosion. So he's, you know, he's trying, he's trying to point out the contradiction there. Okay, so obviously you know, that's kind of relevant, I suppose. But again, he, he mentions that he tried to go back five times, uh, three times he started, but he couldn't, couldn't succeed. Everything was against us. The weather was against us. To, you know, for this long flight. Yeah, the fabric got waterlogged, the ship's nose was down, impossible to rise, couldn't trim. Again, you know, this word, couldn't trim. Um, remember, she's just meant to be regurgitating what she's read in the papers. Um, I'm not sure that the word trim would be in there. Um, uh, again, he says the elevator jammed, almost scraped the roofs. Uh, ashy, okay, kept a railway. That's the town, yeah. by the way. Yeah, yeah. Kept to, kept a railway. Anyway, and then obviously he goes on to say it was a nightmare and it was all wrong from the start, etc., etc. But what's interesting to point out there is, is like you say, Ashi was the, was um, uh, a railway station, essentially. 
now in the middle of nowhere. In the middle of nowhere, and Erwin, the, the pilot, had actually he had to keep to the railway line in order to not crash into any structures. Um, because obviously, if you imagine the railway line's like a clear route, and yeah. as he went through Ashi, the people that was there actually said that the, the airship only just made it across the buildings there. It was that it was that low yeah. to the ground. It was actually scraping the buildings. Now, that's the one I said about the church. It same thing, church. yeah. But Eileen spoke about Ashi when she's coming, when this pilot's meant to be coming through in this seance. She mentions Ashi now. Harry Price believed that she was making this up and she'd looked at the route and just pulled out a name from thin air or whatever, just picked one on the route. And he got a map out of France and he had a look and he could not find Ashi on the map. So then he believed that she was um, making it up. Lying. Yeah, lying. So he, he checked the... Obviously, the guy had said that he'd used the railways to um, to make his route, you know, to keep clear of structure. So he, he got a railway map, and this was an actual French railway map. Um, and he actually opened that, and he checked the route where this uh, airship would have gone, and he actually found Ashi on there. Now, Ashi was not a town; it's just a railway station. It's like a it's like a place where the re- the trains would stop and refuel, or you know, add water, that sort of thing. It was not, it, you know, it literally was in the middle of nowhere. There was no, there was a road to it, obviously, for the people that weren't there, but there was no village around or anything like that. This was just a total, you know, it wasn't on the original map because it didn't need to be. This was just on the railway map. So now you've got to factor that in. Did she get a French railway map to make up this elaborate ruse, you know? And not only that, the the specific railway map where the where it actually crashed, you know, two days before that. Yeah, and it was known that the um, Captain Irwin would have had a copy of this particular map. He did have a copy of it on the airship. Yeah. So he would have known the route. But again, you know, does that sound like... I mean, to me, that sounds... You know, when you look at these things, obviously sceptics will argue that um, she made it all up, blah, blah, blah. And if you look at, like, if you go on YouTube or anything like that, and you look at this case... I would imagine that if you watch 10 videos, probably if they're all like skeptics talking about it, you'll probably find out those 10 videos, you'll probably find nine of them don't even mention Ashi because no. it's almost a little bit too unexplainable. So instead of adding it in there, making it uh, part of the story, they'll probably leave it out because the rest of it can sort of be explained. If you're saying, well, she just read this in the papers, blah, blah, blah. Um, but for me, those terms, I think there's four, over 40 technical terms that she uses in that seance. Yeah, 40. That's what I read. Four, yeah, 40. So, if she's reading from the papers, again, 40 seems a little bit... Now, yeah, alright, she could have remembered them, but some of those... I mean, I've not got the paper clip in here, but I'm sure maybe it's available, maybe you can look at it, but I'm not sure that the paper would have gone into that amount of detail, okay, because they're not talking to people that know anything about no. airships. No, they're talking to the general masses, you know, when the words trim and things like that, um, you know, maybe they mentioned that there was a diesel engine in there. That's possible, I suppose. But there's certain technical words in there. And again, you know, skeptics that looked into this later on who tested her and found she was, um, well, they believe she was uh, uh, hoaxing a lot of this. But they will say that she just, you know, regurgitated these from the paper. But there's little things in there for me that just make me think, 
Hmm, I'm not sure about that. Now, as spirit guides, okay, so when we talk about psychics and clairvoyance and this, we, we often talk about these spirit guides that come through and gave, uh, you know, uh, Helen Duncan, uh, in the last episode, we talked about she had a master of ceremony, Albert, who would come through and perform a ceremony on, on her behalf. Um, this is, this is a, you know, a known thing. But yeah. Helen herself didn't believe that these were ghosts. Okay, she thought these were a creation of her subconscious, um, tapping into the magnetic field. Um, and that's where me and her sort of chime a little bit, because I do believe that a lot of these ghosts that we see, and a lot of things like this, uh, especially like um, memories that people have and that sort of stuff, I think um, a lot of this is trapped in the magnetic field. And I think we just can access it. Um, and that's what she believed. She believed that these weren't ghosts. And she said in, in all her uh, time as a medium and all that, she'd never seen one shred of evidence that people live on after death. And she was she absolutely did not believe that people survived death. Even though she was getting all this information from the so-called other side. Um, she believed this information was really coming from it was stored in like the magnetic field, if you like, and that's where she was accessing it from. Um, yeah. So these were the memories, the thoughts of the people who had passed. You could access them. It was like in, in there, you know, um, like a massive storage uh, thing, if you like, dump, if you like. And that's what she was tapping into. She did not believe that these were the ghosts. But if you read a lot of these psychic um, skeptics that um, did test with her and all this stuff, they'll always try and talk about these being ghosts. Well, that's what that she really didn't believe that at all. She really believed this was part of your subconscious. And, you know, I think that gives her a little bit more credibility because she's not saying, you know, I'm contacting the, the spirits of diseased people. She's not saying that. Um, I don't know how you feel about that, but I thought it was interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, very much I've been I've been brought up, a, I suppose, a sceptic. I'm not... I think I'm more, more of an open-minded sceptic. I'm not sure I believe... I certainly believe there are a lot of mediums out there that that do it for the money. Um, I think there are a lot of people who will home in on people's insecurity. I think at this time in particular in history, it was very, very easy for a medium to work because you're talking the end of the First World War. You're talking pretty much every British family everybody knew somebody who had died in the war whether that be a brother uh, a father an uncle grandfather anything like his son everybody knew a man who died in the first world war it, it affected everybody in this country yep. and i think for that alone a lot of mediums at that time were sort of looked upon as a bit of like charlatans they were looked at as people who were just doing it to make money because it was so easy. You know, you could sit in a room of 30 people and go, I've got a, got a, a man coming through. He's about 18. He's a soldier guaranteed, you know, 10, 15 people in the room are putting their hands up. It was so easy for them, let's say, to, to pick and choose and get, you know, get money out of this. And, you know, I've always been a bit of a skeptic. And I think when, you listen to something like this and you listen to a you know let's let's not forget this is a woman from Ireland she was let's say uneducated almost really you know she she didn't she didn't perform well in school she was actually expelled from school when she was younger because of what you know how she behaved yeah. 
you know, she then moves to England with nothing behind her. She's got mental illness. She's locked up in a psychiatric ward in hospitals. She's been married three times. She's lost four children or lost three children. Uh, I believe she had a stillborn as well. Mm. And she had a kid that died a couple of weeks into infancy. So you're talking about a woman who's severely mentally, you know, Oh, she's been, been through the ringer yeah, for sure. She's yeah. been through hell. I mean, she was she was lucky in a way, if you like, that she was uh, actually in France once she when the war broke out. So she got yeah. she got shipped off to um, America, and she became um, part of a psychic uh, magazine out there. So she did all right um, after. Yeah, and I think that's yeah. why she was open to doing these tests and things like that because she was. You know, I, th- I think for her, she wanted a little bit of um, uh, answers to what, you know, why she was, like I say, you know, she didn't believe these were ghosts. She believed this was something else. And I think she was looking for answers as much as the, the people testing them probably were. Yeah. I mean, they, they, you know, that goes back to a childhood where she's walking around killing ducklings in a pond. You know, she's she doesn't really understand. And, and I think when you, I mean, I'm not, I'm, you know, an educated historian. I've got you know, quite a lot of background to a lot of general knowledge. And I think even I would struggle to come up with 40 specific terms to do with airships. And I've studied airships. So, you know, when you go back to somebody who who is in this sort of a situation in their life, to actually come out with what she came out with, there is no, you know, there's no answer to it. And if I'm right... Uh, I believe she was actually arrested by, well, necess- not necessarily by the police, but by the British Secret Service after this interview, um, or at least a week after the interview when it hit the papers, because she leaked sensitive and high, you know, high class information that was, you know, oh, what's the word? I'm trying to think of the blooming word. Yeah, it was now. classified. Classified. Yeah. That's the one. Classified. So, if that's true, yeah. that 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 gives a more credibility that um she wasn't reading this in the papers no no exactly i mean like i said that the the i mean i didn't i've read a little bit about this but i didn't know about the you know the two test flights that you know that was mentioned in the thing because obviously like i said the two test flights as far as you can any information you can find on it yes they were said as unsuccessful but you're going back a hundred years ago when this was sent out to the paper they wouldn't have come out and said you know, we've had two test flights. They've been very unsuccessful. Mm. You know, it didn't it didn't get very high off the ground, but we're going to send it out anyway. That wouldn't happen. No. You know, it would have been two successful test flights, and Lord Thompson, the air minister, is going on this flight to India. He'll be back in two weeks. No, he won't. Yeah, you know, it's that. You know, they they wouldn't have. These aren't things that she would have known, and unless she personally knew the pilot these aren't things she would have known. No, no. I mean, people said that she was interested in airships, but even so, you know, um, you know, this is 1930s. This is not on even... She you can't know. go on Google. No, she, yeah, that's what I mean. She's not got access to this. And it's not like, you know, Airship Weekly, you know, she can just go and get a magazine down. Um, yeah, she could have had people. She could have known people that was interested in airships, but still, I don't know. I think, um, I think it's, um, well, it's obviously a tragedy, but, uh, Hey, it's an interesting. One. I just, I just think that it should bring airships back for me. I think. Um, oh, I'd love it. Yeah, because it, I mean, 
they've got buoyancy, right? They're not going anywhere. Once you get them up in the air, they're staying there. So even if the engines fail or whatever, you know, if you're going across the uh, Atlantic Ocean or whatever and the engines fail, you don't crash into the sea and, and perish. You know, you you just sort of hold there. Just sit there. You know, yeah. and, and, and you have an engineer on there who can fix the engine. So you don't get that in a... I know, obviously, it takes a little bit longer to get there uh, to where you're same going. Same as a cruise. Yeah, same as a cruise. It's probably quicker than a cruise. Um, yeah, you know, so for me, I think with the technology that we've got today, then we probably mind you, and you know, if you look at the technology that they're keeping from us, you don't know we've got probably better stuff than that. But hey, I think airships have got a bad reputation for no reason. Yeah, I mean they got they got a bad reputation thanks to the Hindenburg, and like I said, with it being on live TV, mm. that sort of you know put everyone against it and. And I certainly, when you you look back through history, there's not been a successful one really. I mean, even the R100, it's you know, all right, yeah, it got to Canada and back, but it certainly had some problems. Yeah. So I just think they'd never perfected it. They just it was a abandoned too early. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think so. And uh, you know, I mean, I mean, there was no good for the war effort because it easily, oh, no. easily be destroyed. So I think that was probably the reason why they they knocked on the head. Um, yeah, definitely. But anyway, that's very uh, easy to yeah to just put a bullet through. But that's the uh, that's the airship in the medium then. Yes, yeah, the R one hundred, the R one hundred one. So you know, let us know what you guys think if you uh, if you think she was um, tr- full of crap. <laughs> yeah, full of crap, or you think she was actually tapping into something. Um, you know, always let us know. You can reach me at. Um, supernaturalpod at gmail.com Dan uh, T-W-I-H pod at gmail.com very good well yeah. thank you very much everybody out there stay safe uh, isolate as much as you can and yeah, enjoy your time off work yeah well I mean it's the bills isn't it it's the bills that's the that's the that's the kicker isn't it mm. but, it's alright if you live in Italy yeah they've um, suspended mortgage payments for three months haven't they but you know, that, that you still got to eat, and you know. I know. Well, I know. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I mean, just stay safe and yeah, yeah. stay away from people coughing. Yeah. But um, that being said, uh, thank you very much for joining us, and we will see you on the other side. Well, they've gone. No, just for now. It wasn't the right time for us to meet. But there'll be other nights. Other stars for us to watch. They'll be back. In the heat of the moment, you're not just keeping it calm, you're keeping it cool too. With an ice cold cold brew. And not just any cold brew, but one that's slow steeped and mixed with brown sugar and molasses flavor. With a cold foam infused with brown sugar coolness and a cinnamon sugar sprinkle on top. That's keeping it calm, cool, and cold brewed. With Dunkin's new brown sugar cream cold brew, America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Terms apply. Other banks go out of their way to make redeeming credit card rewards needlessly complicated. Like how they require minimums or force you to use your rewards before reaching some arbitrary expiration date. But Discover isn't like that. With Discover, you can redeem your rewards for cash in any amount, at any time. 
so you'll never have to jump through hoops. Unless you're like a trapezist, then by all means, go right ahead. Learn more at discover.com slash redeem rewards. Terms apply. Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired a drama coach to be an IT guy. Yeah, I'm having trouble logging in. I'm not buying it. Say it again. This time with feeling. I can't log in? Come on, man. I want to feel your struggle. But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. Now, like your life depends on it. I can't log in. Yes, we'll make an actor out of you yet. For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com slash local today. GEICO presents Daily Affirmations. Repeat after me. Our thoughts are like the ocean. Our thoughts are like the ocean. Our thoughts create our reality. Our thoughts create our reality. We're thinking GEICO offers claim service 24-7 with personalized attention from an assigned team. GEICO offers claim service? Um, I wasn't thinking that. We think it and it becomes our reality. So, uh, what about washboard abs? Let's give it a go. Think really hard. Okay, abs, abs, abs. Yep, keep thinking. To manifest more GEICO in your life, go to GEICO.com.